What's good, ladies and gentlemen? It is your boy, Big L, a.k.a. Elgin Bailey. Uh, coming to you again with another episode of The Page Turners. Before I run through my normal, uh, my normal intro, I want to have a discussion about some things real quick. First thing is I owe you folks who are faithful listeners uh, who have supported me in this endeavor since the beginning. I owe you an apology. Uh, Last episode, uh, I had some uh, some technical technical difficulties of some sort. I don't know what the hell exactly took place, but what I do know is, for some reason, folks were only able to hear me out of one uh, <laughs> only one side of their headphones. And before anybody throws away their headphones, let me be clear, uh, that wasn't y'all fault, okay? Uh, (laughs) That was truly indeed my my fault. I screwed up somehow, some way, uh, and hit a button, (laughs) didn't hit a button, I'm not quite sure. But I didn't do what I was supposed to be doing uh, for to make sure that everything was taken care of. I got a little, uh, I was a little rushed because I had a whole lot of other things going on. And that's unacceptable for folks who are looking to hear decent content. So... I apologize to all of you folks for that because I should have uh, listened back (laughs) and made sure. Now, when I did listen back, to be honest, I only listened up into the intro. Uh, I didn't listen further into uh, the actual episode, and that's not acceptable. And you guys deserve so much better than that. So, I'm telling you, uh, I'm going to be better. I'm going to do better. And hopefully, (laughs) that type of shit won't happen in the future. Uh, But I kind of want to talk about something, man, before we dig into Evicted by Matthew Desmond. Uh, Season 3, this is Season 3, Episode 5. Season 3, Episode 5. I want to have a discussion real quick, man. About something that has been bothering me. Uh, I want to give you a little bit of back history. I have been doing podcasting, broadcasting, uh, for almost 10 years probably now. Damn near close. Uh, I'm going to share a little bit of my my story. I tend not to share a whole lot about my story when I'm doing discussions, the book discussions, because 
you folks show up to hear <laughs> me read the books. This particular part of the page turners is about Elgin reading the books, discussing, critiquing, sharing thoughts on the book. But let me share this. Uh, a number of years ago, I was in ministry in a church. Uh, and I'm trying my best not to go too far and too in-depth with that because I don't want to lose anybody. I, I want to be able to get right to my point. But it's kind of built up to it. I was once in ministry. Uh, I was a reverend in a church, a minister in a church. My past, my passion always was for what they call in the faith-based community uh, outreach. Uh, that's what I was passionate about. I was passionate about modeling Jesus. Uh, you know, so folks could see uh, folks in the streets. Uh, and when I mean streets, I'm not speaking particularly of homeless, but people who are not connected to a faith-based institution. I, I believe that was what Jesus' ministry was. His ministry was not about adhering to a certain structure and rules and, and things that you find within typical faith-based institutions, particularly in the Western world. And to be honest with you, that's part of the reason why people in the scriptures didn't like him so much, because he refused to adhere to those things. So, I believe that our responsibility as quote-unquote Christians was to share Jesus specifically outside of the four walls. Uh, that was a passion. That was something that I've always had a passion for. For a variety of reasons, I ended up leaving the church altogether. I have not set foot back in a church in years. Uh, I haven't been part of any ministry team, organized ministry team in years. Uh, my faith has evolved and grown and it's a lot different now than what you typically find in most faith-based organizations. Uh, much of what you find in faith-based organizations is a very retributive form of justice. All the consequences for the wrongdoings that a person do is there's some usually harsh judgment that is bestowed upon them. And the harshest of those judgments is hell. Now today, I'm not going to debate back and forth about hell, the existence, what it is, what it ain't, and all those different types of things. But what I knew was that I was beginning to move towards a restorative, transformative model of justice and view of Christ I didn't have any language at that point in time to put to it so of course I'm not thinking that hey I'm moving towards reform, uh, restorative and transformative that wasn't the thought back then but now with the knowledge that I have and understanding yes that's very much it so I ended up leaving the church get kicked out yeah it's debatable anyway uh that's a story for another time. But part of what I did when leaving the church was 
I wanted people to be able to hear the message of Christ in a very unfiltered way that helped them where they were in their relationship with the world. Not necessarily their relationship with Christ even or the church, but just with the world to offer them some truth. So I ended up starting a radio station or a radio podcast online. It was called Real Talk Radio. Uh, And for a number of years, me and some good, good friends did a podcast called Real Talk Radio where we talked about current issues and theological uh, conundrums within the faith and you can actually find a lot of this stuff we still have hundreds of videos and our shows are on YouTube uh, Real Talk Radio Uh, so I did that for a number of years I got tired of feeling like uh, very much like I did in church that it, it, it no longer had a love for me I was simply doing it out of obligation so I decided to leave that uh, hold on excuse me so I was approached by another brother who asked me to take what he saw me doing on social media to join him in building a I don't even know what we were calling at this point in time but anyway It was uh, Black Empowerment Christianity. Uh, You know, and I did a lot of the social commentary. So I had a a podcast there for a number of years. But all the while, there was another gentleman here in Coatesville, Pennsylvania, where I reside, who had the idea and the dream of putting a radio station in Coatesville. So he reached out and I ended up doing a radio station uh, podcast where I you know I would interview local people. We could have local just conversation about local politics and funny story, uh, <laughs> Coatesville had an issue, <laughs> let's put it mildly, with a superintendent who came out and you know some racist stuff had came out and, and turned into this huge thing as it should be and then it found out that he was doing things with the money and so he was ended up you know resigning or some foolishness he wasn't fired but he was resigned and he actually ended up getting his pension it was just absolute foolishness but then they looked to hire another superintendent and I remember being on a number of broadcasts asking questions about that superintendent. I researched her past and she had just been fired from another job. All these things. (laughs) And it comes to find out that she ended up coming here and doing a horrible job and everything that I warned them about uh, ended up coming to fruition. So I've been doing podcasting for a number of years. So after I did that, I ended up doing my own thing, the page turners. Uh, 
and I love to read books. I love books. I love the knowledge. I love to talk about books. I love to talk about talk to authors. I love to talk about what people are reading. And I, I just love seeing black people read books. Uh, so I've been doing this podcasting thing for a number of fucking years. And I can't begin to even tell you how much money I've spent how much money that I've actually put out in equipment and missed time and all these things and I've decided today I thought about something today I don't know why it hit me as hard as it did today because I was thinking about what I'm doing now so what I do now okay I record these episodes on my own computer. I bought the interface, the microphone, the lights, all those different types of things. I bought all the equipment. And then I go to a site and I upload this content to a site. And that site will take the content that I uploaded (laughs) and disseminate it to 10 other digital platforms so Spotify uh, Apple Podcasts Google like 10 other places and they'll use the content now I don't get paid for any of that now I don't want I don't get paid for any of that but these companies who host and hold content and when people listen to it these companies get paid off of my yours if you're a podcaster or content creator they get paid off of our creative and intellectual properties and I have a problem with that man I have a problem with predominantly white owned and operated Companies taking the intellectual creative properties from black folks and making millions and billions of dollars off of it and we get nothing. 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 And some people actually pay They pay a service to host their content. And then that service will share their content to other services and get zero dollars in return. Zero dollars. You hear what I'm saying? Black content creators are counting streams while white owned and operated platforms are counting money. We got to figure out a way to turn our following, no matter the size, into a stream of revenue. If for no other reason to be able to maintain our platform and if you have multiple hosts to be able to pay them. We got to, excuse me, we got to stop allowing ourselves to get exploited. There are literally platforms, man, (coughs) that you pay for to host your content, man. And part of their pitch to get you in is what? I'm going to share your stuff for you. And you not get paid from that? 
and you get zero dollars from it. And I'm not yelling at other folks. This message to other folks. I'm yelling at my, myself too. But I want to be clear. Uh, I'm done giving away my intellectual and creative properties for free. I'm not doing it anymore. I will not be giving away my intellectual creative properties for free anymore. And let me be clear. In the future, what I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be exploring other platforms. Particularly, I'm going to be looking at Patreon and creating different tiers. Because on Patreon, you can create different tiers. Where if minutes now and I think it's only appropriate that I dig into the book uh, but I wanted to share that update I wanted to give you guys some some background man uh, and something to look forward to because a lot of you guys support what I'm doing and encourage and know me that the money that I will be getting I'll be putting it right back into the community mutual aid helping people during the pandemic building programs uh, but I just think man that it is time out for black folk to or it's time rather for black folks to normalize getting paid for their creative and intellectual properties so just so you know coming in the future uh, some changes at page turners will be taking place man uh, yeah ba -da -ba -ba -ba. all right let's dig into this week's show uh, I think it's only right to do a formal introduction what do you think ladies and gentlemen okay it's your boy Elgin Bailey host of the page turners each season a text is selected to read discuss, critique, and to apply to our lives with the intent of changing the current state of predominantly black schools, neighborhoods, black families, black lives, black lives, black lives. This book that we're currently reading in season three is Evicted by Matthew Desmond. It's an award-winning book winner of the 2016 National Book Critics Circle Award, winner of the 2017 Pan John Kenneth Gilbert Award, finalist for the 2016 Kirkus Prize, finalist for the 2016 Los Angeles Times Book Prize, and a host of others. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. We are currently in two, 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 two. part two chapter nine order some carry out we are in page on page 113 if you're following along the Britain brothers Tom, Dave and Jim had taken over the company from their father when he had started it back in 1958 there were only one or two eviction moves a week he ran a two-truck operation out of his home and would pick up men from the rescue mission when he needed an extra hand. 
Fifty years later, the company employed 35 people, most of them full-time movers, owned a fleet of vans and 18-foot trucks, and operated out of a three-story, 180,000-square-foot building. Wow. That had originally held a furniture factory. 40% of their business came from eviction moves. This is a whole other side of evictions and who makes money and how evictions are a business. Can you imagine that? Can you can you comprehend that evicting people out of their homes is a business for some folk? Eagles moving crew worked with the two sheriff deputies. The deputies would knock on the door to announce the eviction. The movers would follow, clearing out the house. Landlords footed the bill. Because a landlord could activate the sheriff's office, he had to contact a bonded moving company. There were four such companies in Milwaukee, Eagle being the largest. To hire one of Eagle's five-man crews, a landlord had to put down a $350 deposit, the average cost of an eviction job. Eagle then handed over a letter of authority, which the landlord would take to the sheriff's office along with the necessary court documents and an additional $130 sheriff's fee. The sheriff had 10 days to remove the tenants. A formal eviction that involved sheriffs and movers could run around $600 when they included, included the court filing charge and process server fee. Damn. Landlords could add those costs to their judgment, but often would never get it back. Of course not. Wowzer. Big business family, big business. Dave Britton, a white man with graying hair and long stride, gave the men the signal and they climbed into the trucks. Tim drove the van. When Dave went out on moves, he sat in the passenger seat. The daily eviction route began with the northernmost addresses and pushed south. Eagles Company trucks would lumber through the north side ghetto in the morning and early afternoon. Then they would cross the Minami River Valley and course through the predominantly Hispanic streets of the near south side before ending their day in the trailer parks on the white far south side. The sheriffs met the moving crew outside an apartment complex on Silver Spring Drive. John, the older of the two deputies and the one who most looked the part, broad shoulders, thick jaws, sunglasses, cop mustache, gum, gave the door a knock. A small black woman answered, rubbing the sleep out of her eyes. When John looked around and saw a tidy house with dishes drying in the rack and not a box packed, he turned to his partner and asked, Are we in the right house? He placed a call back to the office. When Sheriff John walked into the house and saw mattresses on the floor, grease on the ceiling, cockroaches on the wall, clothes and hair extensions and toys scattered about, he didn't double check. Sometimes tenants had already abandoned a place, leaving behind dead animals and rotting food. Sometimes the movers puked. The first rule of evictions, Sheriff John liked to say, is never open the fridge. 
when things were especially bad, when an apartment was covered in trash or dog shit, or when one of the guys would find a needle. Dave would nod and say, junk it, leaving the mess for the landlord. John hung up the phone and waved the movers in. At that moment, the house no longer belonged to the occupants, and the movers took it over, grabbing dollies, hump straps, and boxes. The men began clearing every room. They worked quickly and without hesitation. There were no children in the house that morning, but there were toys and diapers. The woman who answered the door moved slowly, looking overcome. A sob broke through her blank face when she opened her refrigerator and saw that the movers had cleaned it out, even packing the ice trays. She found her things piled in the back alley. Sheriff John looked to the skies as if it began to rain and then looked back at Tim. Snowstorm, rainstorm, we don't give a shit. Tim said, lighten the Salem. These heartless bastards just went into this woman's house who was being evicted and didn't give two shits about what she was facing, where her furniture, where her things were going to be, what or how she was going to get her things. Even laughing and joking that a snowstorm or a rainstorm was coming. No one was home for the next eviction. A two-story baby blue house, half the time the tenants weren't home. Some moved out before the sheriffs arrived. Others didn't realize their day had come. A rarefied bunch called the sheriff's office asking if their address was on that day's eviction list. But many were unprepared and bewildered when the sheriff knocked. Some claimed never to have received notice or pointed out accurately that the notice did not announce a date or even a range of dates when the eviction would take place. The deputies would shrug. They figured the tenants were just playing the system, staying as long as they could. Playing the system? What? You mean to tell me that would be the thought process? That, that I'm going to play the system? <laughs> my, my, my goal is to play the system because... Oh, my God. Dave's assessment was subtler. He thought a kind of collective denial set in among tenants facing eviction, as if they were unable to accept or imagine that one day soon, two armed sheriff's deputies would show up, order them out, and usher in a team of movers who would make it look like they had never lived there. Psychologists might agree with them, citing research showing that under conditions of scarcity, people prioritize the now and lose sight of the future, often at great cost. Or they might quote how the other half lives, published over a century ago. There is nothing in the prospects of a sharp, unceasing battle for the bare necessity of life to encourage looking ahead, everything to discourage the effort. Damn. Hold on, hold on. let me read that again because that's... Jeez. Or they might quote the How the Other Half Lives published over a century ago. Here's the quote, family. There is nothing in the prospect of a sharp, unceasing battle for the bare necessity of a life to encourage looking ahead, everything to discourage the effort. Damn. 
The evil day of reckoning is put off till a tomorrow that may never come. When it does, it simply adds another hardship to life measured from the cradle by such incidents. Damn it. Then there are those cases that didn't require any sort of psychological sophistication. Cases where landlords purposefully conned or misled tenants. Hmm. Why would they do such a thing? Dave told Bronte, the rookie, to climb through the window of a baby blue house and let him in. Inside, they found a Dell computer, a clean living sofa, a leather sofa, and new shoes lining the closet. Someone had left the TV on. Dave pointed to the show playing on it and laughed. Martha motherfucking Stewart. A few minutes later, an older model Jaguar, Forrest Green, pulled up into the driveway. Four young black men hopped out. What is going on? One asked. You're being foreclosed, John replied, holding up the paper. What? We just paid rent last, uh, paid rent this month. Lord have mercy. One of the men marched straight into the house and quickly emerged, cradling a shoebox. He held the box with both arms, the way running back protects the football when the call is up the middle, then locked it in the Jaguar's trunk. The sheriff deputy stepped away to confer. These people got screwed, John told his partner. The landlord took their rent but didn't pay the mortgage. Yeah, <coughs> but John, this is a drug house, the other deputy replied. John raised his eyebrows and the sheriff started for the kitchen. Tim was there assembling boxes. Tim, this is a drug house, John whispered. Without a word, Tim pulled out a kitchen drawer as he had been in the house before. Inside were small Ziploc bags and razor blades. The deputies looked at each other. Sometimes in situations like this, when a landlord foreclosure caught tenants completely unaware, John would refuse to carry out the judge's order that day, buying tenants more time. But he decided not to stop this one and not to ask to see what was in the shoebox. Narcotics wasn't his beat and he thought the faultless foreclosure was punishment enough. That's page 116. We're going to wrap it up here. That last part of the story where they're talking about how the landlord can intentionally not pay the, the mortgage on the house as a way of getting the tenants evicted. Now, in this case, there seems to be some sort of, hmm, I can see where the tenant, where the landlord is coming from, but it's still shady as shit. There's other methods of dealing with things instead of just getting rid of people in that manner. Because in this particular case, it's drug dealers. But what about in other cases where it's just somebody that the landlord doesn't like? There's nothing to actually protect the tenants, man. What a shady-ass system, man. What a shady system. Damn it, man. What do you even do to help 
folks in these situations. Looking at my notes. Spoke's heavy, but I got to get through it, man. Got to get through it because there's some crucial and important information in there. But ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning into Page Turners with me, Elgin Bailey. May the pages you read help create the change the world needs. Till next time, I'm out.